We at The Daily Brew take the Bible and the study of it very seriously. Have you ever wondered where we or our special guests go when we want to dive into God's Word more deeply? We go to Logos, the best Bible software available. From in-depth word studies in the original languages to commentaries from scholars both new and old, there are lexicons and grammars and sermons and collected works of heroes of the faith and even ancient texts for the serious Bible students. Never before has so many great tools been bundled together into one software. For more information, go to www.logos.com. That's L-O-G-O-S.com. Check out their many different software options. There's something there for everyone. While you're there, go ahead and tell them that you heard about this incredible software on The Daily Brew. Is this the Mega Lomart? Would you like pepperoni pizza? I just want a hammer. Oh, so you thought so you want sausage pizza? No, I would just want a hammer. Ah, cheese pizza's what you got. Are you tired of pizza places that just can't seem to get your order right? Or maybe you get there and then your pizza's already cold. Don't settle for second-rate pizza. Go to Snappy Tomato. Check out the one next to Knoxville Center on 5908 Washington Pike. Let them know that you heard about the great pizza from the Daily Brew. R.C. was asked the question, what is the most significant theological issue facing the church of the next generation? And without blinking, he said, Christology, the doctrine of the person and work of Christ. And as if he was anticipating a follow-up question, why that doctrine, he said, because it is the gospel. The word Christology itself, the doctrine of Christ itself, a major part of that is the word Christ. Uh, a lot of people, I believe, think that the word Christ is Jesus' last name. It's not. The word Christ is from the Greek Christos, which is the translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. And uh, if we want to know, so the doctrine of Christ is the doctrine of the Messiah, Christology, doctrine of the Messiah. Uh, where do we go to learn about the Messiah? We go to the Old Testament, and this goes back all the way to Genesis. This is The Daily Brew. This is The Daily Brew. I'm your host, Adam Holland. I have a special co-host with me, Dustin Messer. He is a friend to the show. Welcome back on the show. Thank you for having me back, Adam. Jeremy is not sick this week. He is not on vacation. His father actually had a stroke, so he is, uh, he'll be in prayer for him. He is actually um, in the hospital with his father, so definitely going to be in prayer for him. But this week, uh, Dustin and I are going to be talking about, we had the, I had the joy of interviewing uh, Dr. Wellen, 
and we have an incredible interview with him on the topic of Christology. So this week we're actually going to be talking about Christology. Is it important? Why should we discuss it? Um, is it something that's just academia, or is it something that actually relates to you and I and our everyday living? So to start off, I just want to bring up the fact that uh, Christology, when you hear it, uh, the word, you have Christos, which is coming from Christ, and then ology, so the study of Christ. So on a practical level, it's just studying Christ. And more as you study it, get into it a little bit further, uh, the topic is about um, how is, is Christ both fully God and fully man, and how does that relate to us, and, and um, how does that apply to our lives? And ironically, I was talking with Dustin before we started the show about this, ironically, it seems that all the early church confessions this is something that they thought about. This is something, a topic that they wrestled with. How is it that the eternal God has become flesh? Um, how does that relate to us in our lives? Was he fully God? Was he fully man? Was he only 50-50? And I know one of the earliest um, times I actually enc- encountered this, and I was, I was telling this, this, and this the, the first times I encountered it was uh, a guy was arguing for what's known as the kenosis theory. I know it sounds very fancy. Basically, what it argues is, if you look in Philippians 2, it talks about the God emptying himself in Christ. And he argues, uh, the, the theory argues, is that he gave up part of his divinity. And, uh, and it's, actually, it's actually a heresy. So the first time I ever heard of or even got into the topic of Christology was uh, being uh, just encountering heresy. And I think sometimes that's how we, we encounter things or we start studying things is uh, – we, we come to know it because of bad teachings of it, uh, similar to uh, I think the Trinity is a, is a great example. The reason people study the Trinity is you start hearing bad examples like Jesus is water and uh, vapor or he's like a, it's like a three-leaf clover. Um, I can't think – can you think of any other bad heresy examples with the Trinity? <laughs> There's I could think, just tell me to give an illustration and I'll give a bad <laughs> one, I promise. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, think the I can't think way, of a good one. I can't either. Like I know the gas one's a prominent one because uh, he's water, liquid, gas, um, and then, which is modalism. Um, if you haven't seen the YouTube uh, video of the the Lutheran group, I can't think of their name, but they put out the uh, patch. It's uh, three Irish guys talking, or two Irish guys talking to a guy, and he asked him to explain the Trinity. And the the catch line over and over is, "Come on, Patrick, um, have you seen this, Dustin?" <laughs> I, I teach high school kids theology. I've seen all the YouTube videos. Okay, good. This one is glorious. That's basically all I do. These, these two Irish guys, they interview him, Richard Dawkins. If you haven't seen it, please go out, listeners. If you haven't seen it, just YouTube. Uh, it's modal. I can't remember what you would even YouTube for that. Uh, anyway, I think it's, it's Lutheran satire. Lutheran satire. YouTube that yeah. and then the Trinity, and you'll you'll understand the glory of what I'm referring to. Anyway, so we are talking about Christology. And uh, like I was saying, all of the early confessions, um, it was one of their main topics. And I think the reason because uh, the reason it was one of the main topics of discussion is because of um, a lot of the early heresies. You have Gnosticism going on. I think that's really where we get into what John, like an early form of Gnosticism, I think is what John's addressing when he says um, – if anyone denies Christ comes into the flesh, he is he has the spirit of the Antichrist. And I think that's really what's going on is these people were denying the fact that the eternal God has become flesh, maybe possibly arguing on what early form of Gnosticism argues that you have a man and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he becomes God. So he's not fully God, fully man. It's the Holy Spirit comes upon him and then um, when Jesus is born, so the Holy Spirit comes upon him, we see he leaves and then at his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes upon him again. 
And then at, a, at the cross, when you, you see Jesus at the cross, in order to explain how um, Jesus died on the cross, yet God, the eternal God, did not die on the cross, we see him leaving Jesus, and this is what they would argue. He left Jesus, and that's why you see Jesus saying, Jesus the man saying, um, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because God is no longer with him, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon him a third time. And um, that's how he is raised from the dead. So early Gnosticism taught this idea of uh, the Spirit coming upon him and leaving, that it was just a normal man like you and I, and that you can receive that Spirit and have similar abilities as God. But John argues, and I think all the scripture, uh, the, the writers of Scripture argue, that no, that's not the case. It's the eternal God has become flesh. He has taken upon skin. That's how he has emptied himself. It's by taking upon sin. So it's not necessarily losing something, but it's taking on flesh. But uh, this is something that's important, and uh, I know Justin and I were talking about why it relates. And I'm going to pass this off to him and just uh, have uh, him talk about one of the things we talked about before the show is just why it's not something that's just academia and high and lofty thoughts, but it's something that uh, it very much relates to us. Yeah, I'm holding in my hands uh, an essay by a former professor of mine at Edinburgh, Donald McLeod, called The Christology of Chalcedon. And one of the things Professor McLeod always emphasizes is that if it isn't uh, preachable, if it isn't ministerable, um, then it isn't good theology. And this goes to Chalcedon and to uh, Christology as well. So I think one temptation uh, when talking about um, a confessional uh, description of Jesus, uh, like a confession like Chalcedon, is to view the Orthodox Christians as those who really want to put Jesus under a microscope and uh, sort of proverbial put God in a box and try to parse him out and understand him and define Jesus away as if he were arithmetic or something like that. But one of the things uh, McLeod points out in uh, well and may as well, I haven't read uh, his new Christology books, but is that it was actually the heretics, um, it was the heresies that were trying to parse Jesus out to say what bits of Jesus are divine and what bits are human. Um, is he one person with two natures? Is he two people with one natures? And it was really incumbent upon the Orthodox to say this, you know, the famous Chalcedonian box, he's one person with two natures. He's fully God, fully divine. But within that box, they don't put Jesus under a microscope. They don't turn him simply into a subject. Rather, they just say um, the parsing done by the heretics, um, this sort of uh, systemization that uh, that goes in a bad direction, that's the problem. What we're trying to do is preserve the truth uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, been taught and passed down from the days of the disciples. So I just think it's so immensely practical just to say Christology is concerned with passing down the truth of Christ um, that Jesus obviously taught and that the apostles taught as well. Amen. Amen. Um, I, just like what you're saying, I think it's extremely important to show and for our listeners to hear is that um, Christology is not just a, a thing of academics. It's not uh, – I know there's a lot of terminology, and, and some of it tam- sometimes gets difficult and a little confusing, um, but it's not something that it m- was meant for high academics, but it's something that actually is very practical. Like, for example, the fact that he is fully man um, should be comforting to us that Christ struggles whenever he's um, being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. He's having real temptations. He's having real struggles there, just as we have real struggles, and we can find comfort in the fact 
and we can find hope in, in our struggles when we look to him. Um, but he's also fully God. Um, First Samuel talks about how um, if someone sins against God, no one can mediate for them. But if, if, someone, or so, if someone sins against man, someone can mediate for them. But if someone sins against God, no one can mediate for them. Well, the fact is we need Jesus to be not just fully man but also fully God because the only way we can be reconciled back to the Father is if Jesus is, is both fully man and fully God. So we need God to come down and take our place. Um, we need, we need him to be fully man in order for us to find comfort and hope in the fact that in our struggles, we have someone who can relate to us. So it's, yeah. it's not just something academic. It's something that we definitely need uh, in our daily lives and something that we uh, can apply to our lives as well. Well, I was going to say, in terms of practicality, C.S. Lewis, when he's writing the Chronicles of Narnia for kids, right, he says, uh, he says, Jesus became man, and he says, but suppose God wanted to reveal himself to some wooded creatures who could talk. He wanted to reveal himself to a beaver, you know, to uh to a bird. Uh what would he do? He would become a lion so that the beaver could know the lion. And Lewis's point, we just said that all illustrations fail at some point. But his point is to comfort kids to say mm-hmm. the sort of access you have to God, it's no less miraculous that God became a man, Jesus, than had God become a lion, had there been this wooded world where animals could talk. And he says that to comfort kids. He talks about Mm. Jesus being fully God and fully man to bring comfort to little kids in England and America, and it certainly has done that. Mm. Amen, amen. With that point, we're going to actually go to our very first commercial break in the middle of the show. We have uh, sponsors who want to try to get uh, their names out there. You are busy. You are always on the go. But are you making time for you? The Y is dedicated to helping you stay active, live better, and find the best possible version of you. From basketball courts to functional training space, indoor pools, and yoga studios, the best of Knoxville is right in your backyard. Group classes and personal trainers that will challenge and encourage you. The Y has something for everyone. Join the Y and get unlimited access to all five locations. From the heart of downtown Knoxville to Farragut and Halls, all with no contracts. For a better us. On October 31st, 1517, a German monk nailed 95 theses, or corrections, of the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church to the town hall door. The ministries of men like Luther, Calvin, and Beza, and many others, would spark an uprising that would later become known as the Reformation. This April 3rd through the 5th, come celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation at this year's Gospel Coalition National Conference in Indianapolis, Indiana. There are over 70 different scholars such as D.A. Carson, John Piper, Tim Keller, Kevin DeYoung, Paul Tripp, Russell Moore, Albert Moeller, and so many more. You don't want to miss this conference. Learn more about this incredible conference at www.2017.thegospelcoalition.org. Make sure you register early for discounted rates. We are back. Now, for the coveted section. I know Jeremy is usually here for our game show, and what we're going to do now is I'm going to actually have our new guest, speaker Dustin here in as our first con- I mean as the contestant for our show today so you're up my friend 
question number one. The way this works is I ask you the question, and you must respond theologically accurate, or you get the heretic card. So, oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, we're gonna pull the Gordon H. Clark, and you will be excommunicated if you do not get this right. <laughs> so, um, question number one: Was there a time where the sun ceased to exist? No, there is not a time where the sun ceased to exist. Mm, good. I, I like how you answered that one. You you are safe there. We have uh, Arians argued from John three sixteen. There was a time where he ceased to exist, and he said in John 3.16, he was begat. Clearly, he had to be born, so there was a time where he was not in existence. So, you passed. You're not a heretic on question number one. Now, I appreciate that I'm not a heretic, but did I win anything? Whoa, whoa, bro. We've still got a couple questions left on this. Okay. You haven't got to the the, the triple jeopardy, or the triple (laughs) stack, we're going to call it. You can't use jeopardy, because that'd be plagiarizing. Okay. Question number two. Okay. Let's say a movie is coming out in the next month called The Shack. This is completely speculative. Mm. Are you going to go see it? And do you agree with its Trinitarian theology? Oh, my word. I, to be completely honest, I have not read The Shack. Um, if I was to watch it, I would watch it with subtitles so as to say I did read it. Okay, uh, and I suspect I would not agree with this Trinitarian okay. theology. Let me just let me give you. We'll make this the question number three. Then, question number three: In the shack, the father, who happens to be a woman, who, interestingly enough, they were going to use Oprah Winfrey as the father. Mm. Uh, so, anyway, the father is Oprah Winfrey, or whoever they have chosen now. The father comes to this guy and says. I died on the cross and shows him her scars. Is this correct theology? Did the Father no. die on the cross? No, while the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all God, the person of uh, the Son, Jesus, died on the cross. So it would not be fair to say that the Father died on the cross, nor that the Father was sent by the Son to indwell us. Yeah. A- Amen. You, you are still in the faith category. Okay, wow. now it's time for the triple stack, since we're not allowed to use double jeopardy because of copyright infringement laws. So, <laughs> in the movie Left Behind, there is mm-hmm. an Antichrist. John refers to anyone who says that anyone who says Christ did not come in the flesh, he has the spirit of the Antichrist. Okay, this is a multiple choice question for you. Okay. Who is the Antichrist? Option A, Nikolai Carpathia from Left Behind. Option mm. B, Chad Kroger Nickelback. Option <laughs> C, as the Second London Baptist Confession has stated, the Pope. You're on the clock, my friend. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're up. And I have, I have to choose between those two? On, on a recording, so you better get it right. Yeah, wow. Can I get a D? D's get degrees. I, boy, howdy. That's a tough question. Now, as a Presbyterian, I have to take exceptions, uh, because as you know, the London Baptist uh, Confession... 
is a ripoff of the Westminster Confession. So we're at to Which disagree with Which is the, a ripoff of the first London Baptist Confession. A snap, crackle, pop. You got me there. Yeah. Did you know this is an interesting yeah. fact about the Westminster? Baptists were standing outside the Westminster Assembly handing out copies of the first London Baptist Confession when the Westminster Divines were gathering together to discuss. I learned that, uh, that tidbit note from uh, Dr. Michael Hayton, actually. There you go. There you go. You know, I worry I'm going to get a heresy card, but I feel bad disagreeing with Kirk Cameron. Mm. So, like, I'm inclined to say A, to Kirk be honest. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure to there's a right a. answer to this question. So I'm going to go okay. ahead and leave you with, with you got to pass on that one. <laughs> you passed today. Oh, so. that's good news. <laughs> you're, you're still in orthodoxy. So. This is good news. This is good <laughs> amen, news. Amen, amen. So with that in mind, we, we're going to go to um, – we had a short segment today. We have a longer segment with, uh, with Dr. Wellum. Um, so we're going to shorten this segment. Dustin, um, sorry to keep you on here for so short today, but thank you so much for being on the show. It's always a joy to have you back on and uh, discuss uh, why theology is important. I know you always uh, bring uh, – very inspirational. I don't know if inspirational is the word. Let's, let's recant that word. Very uh, thought-provoking. There, that's the word I was looking for, thought-provoking. It was neither safe nor right to call me inspirational, but I very much appreciate you having me here. It was a joy, man. So we're going to go to that discussion now. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. We are here with uh, Dr. Wellum. He's a professor of systematic theology at Southern Seminary. Thank you very much for joining our show. Well, glad to be with you guys. We are studying the, the topic of Christology. I know you recently wrote a book about Christology, and we wanted to ask you just a couple questions. One of our first ones is, why is the, the study of Christology important for the church today, and why should we really invest into it or, or focus on it? Well, we could have uh, days, weeks, years, and months to answer that question. Um, obviously, Christology uh, is at the center of the whole Bible. It's at the center of the Gospel. Uh, when you think of uh, the God of Scripture, it's the triune God, and uh, you think of the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus, the Son, who has become incarnate. I mean, that's all the area of Christology. So to study Christology, you're studying uh, uh, the God of Scripture. You're studying the entire plan of salvation, of the Father sending the Son, uh, the Son who does the work of redemption applied by the Spirit. And uh, you're getting to the heart of God's a plan of creation, redemption, new creation, centered in the uh, person and work of Christ. So to understand Christology is to understand the Scripture, it's to understand God, it's to understand the Gospel. Uh, nothing more central than uh, the study of Christ. Amen. Amen. We have, uh, another question I had, and then I'll give uh, Jeremy, I know he's got a few questions here, is... Um, I know all the early creeds, basically, the, the first creeds we have in the church address the issue of Christology and, and focus on its importance. But nowadays it seems that uh, it's not a topic that many people discuss. Do you think that, or do you feel that uh, Christology is something that's neglected in our day, or, or there are attacks against the idea of Christology or Christ's uh, divinity, but also as humanity? Do you feel like there are attacks today, and do you feel like it's a topic that may be neglected within the church? Well, I mean, I think there's in the sense of you're right in the early church uh, because of the coming uh, in redemptive history uh, of the Son, so the entire 
plan of God, the sending of the Son um, in space and time, in the fullness of time to use the language of Galatians, the church that had the people of God had to wrestle with uh, who this Jesus is, his relation to the Father, uh, relation to the Spirit. And so, of course, in the early church, uh, the foundational doctrines that were wrestled with the most were the doctrine of God, uh, the Trinity, uh, all centered in uh, the coming of Christ. And so, of course, the focus there is uh, so much uh, on the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creeds, and so on. And in their sense of which today, from there, uh, the church has uh, built on that, taken that for granted. I mean, our every time we preach um, uh, the gospel and preach uh, the call of redemption and what redemption is, we are doing Christology. So I think the church, obviously, uh, through the ages, uh, is centered in the person and work of Christ. It's not as if that has lost focus. I mean, that's been going through the entire uh, 2,000 years since the coming of the Lord. But um, there are, I think, uh, present attacks, uh, present um, misunderstandings, a present neglect of the doctrine. So in the evangelical church, ne just neglect in the sense of thinking through uh, this, the theology of the church. Uh, we're very simplistic in how we think of the incarnation. We just sort of write it off as, well, it's a mystery, so we're not going to think much about it. Uh, that is a danger, and uh, the church has warned us through the ages not to do that. Uh, we are to stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us, who've caught, thought very, very carefully about the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the relationship of the two centered in the one person uh, of the Son. And uh, outside the church, uh, the attacks upon Christ's exclusivity, uh, the sufficiency of his work, I mean, at the center of the debate that we have in our day in a very pluralistic postmodern age uh, really comes down to who is Jesus and is he God the Son incarnate or not? And so that's an ongoing debate and the church must, must engage very, very carefully uh, our society with a true understanding of who Jesus is uh, going back to scripture and the history of the church. Hmm. Jeremy? Um, so my question, uh, Dr. Wellam, um, in part three, it's gonna, it's gonna actually pick up on what Adam just said. In part three, you start laying out, um, you start going through early church councils and the, uh, the history of the doctrine of Christ. Can you just explain why it's important that we see the, the historical element? A lot of times in Christologies, you'll see the, the biblical argument laid out. Can you explain today why it's important for Christians to see the historical development of doctrine? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's very, very important. Uh, what I tried to do in the book is to bring all of the biblical, historical to proper theological conclusions for us today. Uh, building on, on the history of the church. Uh, the historical is so important because um, we live in 2017 now, uh, in this new year, and we don't just show up uh, in the history of the church apart from those who've gone before us. And uh, throughout the last 2,000 years, the church has carefully thought through all that the Bible teaches. Uh, they've thought through all the biblical data. They've wrestled with the biblical data in terms of the eternal son who is fully God, who has become man uh, in light of heresies and challenges. They've created 
from the scripture, true to the scripture, a vocabulary, a theological vocabulary that is very, very difficult to improve on. And what we discover is, unless you go back and look at how the church formulated uh, biblical Christology, thought through how best to think through the biblical teaching and parameters and givens, um, and do so in light of in much of the theological vocabulary of the church, the grammar of the church, we inevitably reinvent uh, the old heresies again. We inevitably mm. get into trouble uh, mm. where we think that we've come up with a new idea and it's really not new, it's really old. So I think one of the problems uh, of our evangelical churches today is it doesn't know its theological history. It doesn't know historical theology, mm. especially mm. in these foundational doctrines of the Trinity, of Christology, the Atonement, and in this case we're looking at Christology. So uh, we have to stand uh, on the work of those who've gone before us. They've done excellent work. There is, in this doctrine, a consistency of, of um, teaching and theology that has come through the last 2,000 years. And uh, part of looking at that is to show that, to show that uh, the church isn't all over the map when they come to uh, describing who Christ is, uh, showing also that to depart from that uh, will not be wise. Uh, indeed, it may lead to serious, serious error, and uh, we need to then think with the church uh, through the ages so that we can proclaim Christ properly today. Amen. The, the other question I have, it actually builds off that one. Um, you made a statement um, in your book, I think, that would be really good if it was fleshed out, uh, be very helpful for our listeners. You said, Scripture alone has magisterial authority, but the church's understanding of Scripture throughout history has ministerial authority for us today. What do you, what do you mean by that? Can you flesh that out a little bit for us? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really working out uh, the full authority of Scripture uh, as evangelicals, and it has uh, historic Christians, particularly Protestant, Reformation uh, Christians. We believe that Scripture is, as it claims to be, uh, God's Word written, and uh, it has full authority. Uh, it is what the reformers were proclaiming when they taught sola scriptura. Scripture alone uh, is our final authority in all we believe and all we think in terms of God, uh, his plan, ourselves, and so on. Yet a minister, that's what we mean by ultimately magisterial authority. It's our final authority. Uh, there's nothing that stands over it. We stand under scripture. Yet uh, ministerial is the... Uh, interpretive task of the church uh, and as, as individuals and as a corporate community to put uh, scripture together according to its own claims, according to its own presentation, uh, in a way that we carry out uh, the task of theology, which is a faith-seeking understanding. Uh, by faith meaning starting with the full revelation that is given to us in scripture understanding. We seek to take all that Scripture says and put it together to be faithful to it, to grasp all that it teaches, and uh, that is what we mean by ministerial authority. In this doctrine uh, especially, and there's not true of every doctrine, but in this doctrine, um, alongside the Trinity, uh, we have a consistent voice that has gone through the early church, the medieval church, the eastern church, the western church. And uh, when you have that, there's even 
more sense of uh, confidence and trust that we have got this doctrine right uh, so that the church's formulation doesn't ever um, uh, trump scripture, doesn't ever have more authority, yet uh, it is giving us parameters, guidance, direction. It's serving, as the word ministerial suggests, as a servant, as a servant role to the scripture that is absolutely uh, important and to neglect it would be very unwise. Mm, that's very helpful. We always try to toss in a couple fun questions just for our listeners as well. Um, one thing we wanted to ask is, uh, do you have a favorite writer, whether that be fiction, theology, uh, church history? Uh, do you have a couple favorite writers you could uh, list for us? Well, there's 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 a lot of uh, different writers. I I spend most of my time, um, you know, reading you know theology and commentaries and this type of thing. So I don't get off too much on uh, probably the literature area. But, uh, you know, through the ages, I, I think of some of uh, the British theologians that have been uh, very helpful, you know, at a popular level, J.I. Packer and uh, John Stott's book on the cross of Christ. I mean, these have been such foundational uh, works for me. Um, and uh, thinking through them theologically, you know, uh, Herman Bavinck's works in Reformed theology, mm. um, you know, and then there's current ones as well that uh, that I enjoy. But these are some of the people from you know sort of yesteryear, current day uh, that are, are crucial in theology. And and then in terms of the sort of worldview apologetic, you know, years ago, and I still heavily indebted to like a Francis Schaeffer and those uh, who sought to defend the Christian gospel uh, in our day. And so those are some of my favorite writers that uh, I continue to read or go back to or depend upon. Uh, quite a bit in my work. Awesome. And then whenever you're you're not reading or writing, what do you do for fun? I know you're, uh, at least when I was in Southern, you're an avid uh, um, racquetball player. So what do you what do you do whenever yes, you're not? Yes, <laughs> Well, I try to, uh, you know, my kids are getting older. I've got five children, so they're uh, beginning to leave uh, the home and so keeping in touch with them. But, you know, I try to, um, uh, when I'm not, you know, teaching and, and doing the research type of thing to keep myself fit. Uh, so, you know, continue to workouts in the gym and, and that kind of thing. Uh, uh, as I've gotten older, I've been able to do uh, some conferences and do a little bit of travel. So that's uh, been something my wife and I have been enjoying more as the kids uh, are, are have, you know, sort of left the nest and are, are getting older. <laughs> so those are some of the things that uh, keep me busy and keeping in contact with uh, family members and, and so on. But, you know, reading and teaching and, and, and writing and, and uh, then, you know, outside of that, enjoying, um, you know, God's great creation and uh, keeping, you know, yourself fit and outdoors and that kind of thing. That is awesome. So in light of keeping yourself fit, here's a great question. <laughs> so uh, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> you know, um, I still like uh, cookies and cream, right? Uh, that's, a, nice. that's a good flavor. I mean, ice cream uh, is any flavor is good, but uh, that's still you go back to and say, boy, that tastes good. Amen. amen. John Frames was uh, mint chocolate chip, and then he said all of them. Certain ones uh, even more so than others. Amen. That's right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show today. It's been a blessing. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I trust you guys will have a great day and, and listeners as they uh, listen to the podcast as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that this broadcast will be used to strengthen your faith and your love for the local church. 
Tune in next week when we interview Dr. Gary Miller, author of Calling Upon the Name of the Lord, A Biblical Theology of Prayer. The Daily Brew is a listener-supported broadcast. We exist because of generous donors such as yourself. If you're interested in having your business advertised on our show, please reach out to us through a Facebook page or our website at www.yourdailybrew.com.